Welcome to Work in Place, a podcast of Constancy Brooks Smith and Profit, in which we discuss employment news and provide practical tips that you can use at your company. I'm your host, Susan Bassford Wilson. With me again today is my friend and partner, Jerry Silverman. Hey, Sherry, thanks for joining me today. How are things in Florida? Hanging in there, working from home, just like you, as we navigate our way through this mess that is COVID-19. We are all obviously hoping and praying that the coronavirus will slow down and not claim any more lives. However, that hasn't happened yet, though more and more states and cities are implementing legislation and orders designed to slow the spread of this disease. However, since the pandemic continues to rage, I think it would be helpful to do another episode on coronavirus. And I know in the first coronavirus episode, you gave a disclaimer that we're not doctors or healthcare professionals. I think we need to say that again. We're lawyers, so the only thing we can do is talk about the rapidly changing law in this area. You know, by the time my first coronavirus podcast was released, it was already out of date. And it it was released very promptly after I recorded it. And I write a column for a national magazine, and I have revised that article no less than three times already. It's a frustrating time. Right. And as lawyers, we prefer to have a second to take a breath, read the full text of the law, think about it before giving advice. Um, Hard to do that in this scenario. I had a law school professor say that If we liked risk, we all would have gotten MBAs instead of JDs. But in this situation, we are constantly, and I do mean constantly, getting updated guidance from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, from the Department of Labor, new federal, state, and local legislation and orders are coming out every single day. I mean, if you take a look at Constangie's Coronavirus Research Resource Center, we are publishing new bulletins and updating the frequently asked questions on a daily basis. Right. So things are changing every day and companies need to change the state of the law to check in with their lawyer constantly. I think we should just provide some information that hopefully will be relevant and not totally out of date by tomorrow. I am sure that something we say will be outdated by the time we release it, but we will do the best we can. How about if we talk about some of the overarching ideas and legislation that we're seeing and perhaps cover a frequently asked question or two? Sounds good. So you want to start with talking about the federal legislation and guidance we've seen so far at a kind of at a high level? Sure. I am sure that all of our listeners are aware that President Trump signed the Families First Coronavirus Response Act on March 18th. In short, the law expands the Family and Medical Leave Act and requires employers of fewer than 500 employees to provide leave for certain time off related to the coronavirus. And some of that leave must be paid. And and that paid leave is is getting a lot of attention. Um, So the first circumstance where eligible employees are entitled to paid leave is where the employee is unable to work or telework because the employee's son or daughter under the age of 18 is home due to a school or a child care center closure or due to unavailability of child care provider because of the COVID-19 emergency. And then after the first 10 days, which are unpaid, 
the remaining 10 weeks are paid, but up to a certain amount. Yes. And the second category of circumstances where an employee may receive paid leave is where the employee meets one of six different reasons, including if the employee is under a federal, state, or local quarantine or isolation order, if the employee has been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine, where the employee has symptoms of COVID-19 and is seeking a medical diagnosis, where the worker is caring for an individual who meets one of those above criteria, where the employee is caring for a son or daughter whose school or child care center is closed because of coronavirus precautions or where child care providers are unavailable for the same reason, or where the employee is experiencing, and I quote, any other substantially similar condition. Now, exactly what that sixth item means is, is up for interpretation right now. However, if the employee qualifies under this section, then he or she will get up to 80 hours of sick leave that is paid in an amount depending on whether the leave is for the employee or a family member. And again, it's up to a certain dollar cap. So, you know, the big question is because many companies are struggling financially right now, how, you know, they're wondering how are they going to pay this? So after President Trump signed the law, the IRS, the Department of Labor, and the U.S. Treasury Department issued a joint statement that discussed tax relief that employers who provide this paid leave may be eligible for. So these agencies said that the paid leave will be reimbursed through tax credits that the employer can claim when this law takes effect on April 1st. All right, let's talk about that April 1st date for a second. Previously, Ken Stangy and you know, everybody else was saying that this law was going to take effect on April 2nd because the law said it would take effect 15 days following enactment, which was on March 18th. Right. You know, we always joke that we became lawyers because we're not good at math, but I'm <laughs> pretty confident that March 18th plus 15 days is indeed April 2nd. But the DOL published a Q&A on March 24th that indicates April 1st is the date. So, you know, until we hear otherwise, I think it would be wise to go with April 1st. Maybe it's a uh, awful April Fool's Day joke, but I-, I know it's not. All right. Now that we've cleared that up, we should also note that this new federal law does have some exemptions. Parts of it may not apply if a company has fewer than 50 employees or fewer than 25 employees. And employers can also exclude healthcare providers and emergency responders from certain provisions of this act. Right. Um, Although this one is a little more complicated than meets the eye. So I suggest our listeners take a look at our recent article on this to get the latest information because the regulations have not been published as of the date we're recording this. So we may know more. And, um, you know, let's not forget to mention the other administrative agencies that have issued guidance. Oh, yes. The EEOC has issued an update, revised that update, revised its pandemic guidance, re-revised the pandemic guidance, and made some other type of announcement. It seems like every other day for the past two weeks. True. And OSHA has issued guidance. The Department of Labor has issued guidance. Everyone has issued guidance. It's challenging to be an employer right now with all this information flying at you on a daily basis while 
You're simultaneously trying to figure out how to keep your business running as much as you can and take care of your workers. Yeah. And it's not only the federal government and the executive branch entities that are taking action. States are declaring states of emergency, enacting state home orders, revising unemployment insurance procedures, and really taking all sorts of different kinds of measures as well. Absolutely. California has taken many different measures. Illinois has acted a lot of enacted a lot of different laws. New York, Georgia, Virginia. I mean, the list just keeps going. Right. And it's not identical. Some states have very strict shelter at home orders in place, for example, while others are just encouraging social distancing. Some states have removed the waiting period for workers to receive unemployment insurance and Other states have not, or they're in the process. So it's just really important to pay attention to all the state-specific differences that exist right now. And city-specific differences, too. Many cities, like Denver, for example, have issued orders that apply only within city limits. Yeah, it is so challenging to keep up. So, you know, and I think we sound like a broken record. Just continuously, just keep checking on these things. Talk to your lawyer to try to stay compliant. So now that we've talked about some federal highlights and the explosion of state and local specific orders. Let's talk about a question or two that we've been hearing frequently. I think that's a great idea. Where do you want to start? Do you want to tackle the biggest, nastiest, ugliest ugliest question that we've all been repeatedly asked recently? Yeah, I think I know which one, you know, if you're like me, you have the same series of questions, which is, what do I need to know to furlough my employees or reduce their hourly rate, reduce their hours or lay them off? Yes. I think that's the only question I dealt with all day on Monday, which of course made it a depressing day for everyone. It is absolutely awful to hear especially small business owners talk about this because they want to stay open, but they can't due to perhaps a government order to stay at home or because the demand for their services has simply dried up. Yeah, it's it's terribly sad. And employers in these situations have little choice but to take some sort of action. So from a federal perspective, are you aware of any laws that say an employer can't reduce or drop a non-exempt employee's hourly rate of pay? So generally speaking, unless you have some employment agreement or contract or you're bound by terms of a collective bargaining agreement, This is definitely a strategy you can consider as long as the employee is making at least minimum wage and earning time and a half for all hours worked above 40. Of course, however, there are state laws in this area that need to be considered. Absolutely. For example, I practice in Missouri and I happen to know that Missouri requires 30 days written notice before you can reduce an employee's wages. Other states have their own procedures and quirks in this area as well. Yeah. Um, So I I think that we need to talk about furloughs. Um, I'm not aware of a federal law that clearly defines or mandates requirements for furloughs. And I've been getting a lot of questions, but I think that term comes from the public sector. I will not claim that I have researched this idea in all 50 states, but generally speaking, do you feel like most people use the term furlough to mean an unpaid leave where the worker remains an employee of the business? 
Yeah, that's generally how I hear it used. However, one thing I think is going to create big issues during this time is benefits. If you have an employee who's furloughed, are they still entitled to, for example, health benefits? That is such a great question. And it is certainly one where I will defer to the expertise of our colleagues who do benefits and ERISA work all day, every day. As I understand it, a lot of these questions related to health insurance benefits are going to depend on the terms of your healthcare plan document. So for an example, an employer might run into trouble if the company tells all its employees that they don't need to perform any work, work any hours for an extended period of time, but the employer still provides them with health insurance. Yes. Um, you know, unfortunately, this this could be a situation of no good deed goes unpunished because employers can unknowingly create significant liability by trying to do the nice thing. So just make sure you review your plan documents with counsel before you promise any that type of thing. What about if a company is forced to lay off employees in this hard time? And to be clear, every single employer in this situation that I've talked to over the last week or two has wanted desperately to take care of their employees and is wondering how the company can help its employees through this hard time. I agree. I have the same experience and layoffs are just awful. Um, mass layoff might trigger the WARN Act or a state-specific mini WARN Act. So that's another thing to watch out for and talk to your lawyer about. However, on a positive note, we've noticed that most states are making adjustments to their unemployment insurance benefit plans so that employees or workers who aren't working anymore because they're laid off or terminated due to the coronavirus can get some financial assistance more quickly than they otherwise normally would. I think that's about as positive of a way to end this episode as we're going to find. Unless, of course, you want to hear more about my quest for toilet paper. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little nervous here. Um, this is going to be a case of oversharing. No, I just... I saw the hype about toilet paper, so I figured, hey, I'm going to go ahead and buy some extra because, you know, that's that's not something you want to run out of uh, if you can avoid it. I I am trying to practice social distancing, I, I promise you, but I also wanted to find some toilet paper. So either my husband or I have visited nine different stores in the last week without any success. Totally empty shelves. However... I did find some disinfecting wipes once. So, you know, I am totally set up for a barter deal should the opportunity arise. <laughs> okay. I can already picture a meme for this in my mind, but I think we should stop while we're ahead. Uh, that's, that's probably a good idea. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sherry. Pleasure as always, although I wish it were under better circumstances. And thank you listeners for joining us today. If you have any questions about how to best handle these questions in your workplace, please let us know. We want to help. Take care.